So we're going to talk today about uh, what happened on Saturday. Amen. <laughs> Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for giving us this opportunity to listen to your word. Open up the word to us. Uh, show us some things maybe that we've never known before, how to put things together. Understanding is always good. You say and all are getting to get understanding. And so, Father, we ask you to give us understanding today from your holy word in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. So, <clears throat> seeing as how this is the Saturday after Good Friday, uh, we know what happened yesterday. And so the Lord was... Uh, he gave up his life for us. Amen. He was crucified to save humanity. Uh, that was the required sacrifice. Uh, you know, in God's kingdom, you don't just give what you want to give. You know, if there's a sacrifice uh, required, God specifies what's necessary in order to pay the penalty for what we are paying for. Uh, people don't realize that that the concept of sacrifice uh, comes from the fact that we're we're always like at a deficit really in life because of sin. Uh, sin keeps you in the minus column until it's paid for. Amen. And so there <clears throat> had to be a penalty for sin and or payment for sin. And so in order to avoid the penalty, we have to make the payment. Well, Israel had labored under the old, old covenant for years. The law of Moses stood as their constitution, so to speak, uh, the rules that they lived by. And they just found it laborious uh, to continue on that journey with the sacrifices and the offerings and in God use that as a teaching mechanism it was never meant that they would do that forever amen uh, it was to teach them how heavy sin was how much of a burden it was and however many times they vowed that they wouldn't do it anymore or they would do better this time anybody been there amen it is a toughie amen and you need help and so the help that they needed was someone to come and take that burden away, pay that penalty, get them out of trouble. You know, uh, if you owe too much money, you know, the, the, your, your way out in, in this under natural law is bankruptcy. You know, you just declare you can't pay it. You can't pay it. You can't pay it. But when you owe to God, somebody got to pay it because really when you owe the government, somebody pays it. Amen. Taxpayers take up the slack for where, you know, people can't pay their bills. And so, and we're all partakers of that. You know, you're paying for somebody's bankruptcy. If you have the unfortunate situation of having to do that yourself, somebody pays for you. You know what I'm saying? It keeps, keeps adding up and keeps adding up. And so God decided, uh, on a remedy for it way back from the foundation of the earth. And so when Adam and Eve fell, God assured them a way back. Amen. He assured them that we would, they would one day have a redeemer, somebody who would come and pay the penalty so that they could have a way back to God. But in the meantime, they were given a, a system of, uh, sacrifices and offerings. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. 
And so they had to take an animal, just like God did, to cover their sin in the garden. He killed an animal and made clothes for them to wear because their nakedness caused them to have shame. So if you have shame, you'll never come out and look for God. And so he gave them a way back. Those skins took away the shame uh, because they gave them a permanent covering for their sin and what made them ashamed. But actually it was the shedding of blood that caused that shame to go away. So in the natural, it was the skins that they wore that caused the shame to go away. But in the spirit, it has to be done dealt with in the spirit too. So in the spirit, it was a shedding of that animal's blood that caused the, the shame to go away from them. Even down to the next generation, you see, uh, they had uh, two sons that we know of. They were mentioned in the Bible, Cain and Abel. And uh, they were... They were glad because God had promised them a, a, a seed that would get vengeance on the devil. And that's what they were looking for, I'm sure. You know, they, they were looking for that promise to happen. And so when it came that, uh, um, uh, they were, they, their kids were, were out in the field, Cain killed Abel. It was because Cain was full of sin. And and sin prompted him to do away with his brother, but he had the opportunity to be pleasing to God as well through the sacrifice. God said, "Why are you? Why is your countenance so low?" And Cain started to get more and more angry at his brother uh, because he was making Abel was making the right sacrifice, and Cain was just giving God whatever. And as long as there's somebody doing right, whoever's doing wrong is exposed. See, that's why there's such hatred of Christians now that's out in the open. It's been there all along, but it's out in the open now. You know, they've always hated us. You know, they don't love us. The world hate, they hated our master, they hate us. And so there was this hatred of, of, of Abel's righteousness. And so God told Cain, he said, you could have the same position if you do the right thing. You know, and so he didn't refuse to do that and sin kept adding up, adding up and adding up and pretty soon he killed his brother. And so there had to be a remedy for that murder because uh, the law says whoever sheds blood by man, your blood will be shed. So then there's the avenger of blood that comes after you, you know, to get restitution, retribution and, and penalty out of you. For the wrong that you've done. So this keeps adding up, adding up, adding up. And pretty soon God had to get rid of everybody except eight people. See? When he saved Noah and his family. That was, you know, that that, that shows you how quickly sin multiplies. And without the light of God and without the atonement, you know, that's what we're seeing now. These people that are marching, everybody's marching about everything. Everybody's angry about everything. And uh, upset with people and hollering at them and calling them names and taking off their clothes in the middle of the street. You know, people are, they've allowed the devil to come in and reduce them, you know. Then you got people who are trying to tell them, warn them, you know, don't do this. You're, you're going to regret it. You know, the people who have, have had these uh, um, operations where they, Remove do, do mutilation of their bodies because they're not don't want to be a man. Don't want well. We'll just cut it off. What kind of doctor does that? 
Come on now. So we're being led by people who are imbalanced and all because of sin. These people are not believers. They don't honor God. They don't reverence God. And it's showing now. Amen. It's showing in big ways. And so believers have to make sure that number one, we hold on to God. Number two, we hold on to truth. Number three, we have to speak truth. Amen. All the time. You can't let people just come up to you and say this crazy stuff that they hear. You know, I heard a, 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 a woman talking about, she's been interviewed by somebody on, uh, you know, one of these programs. You know, I don't even have TV anymore. I never turn it on because this news is just made up. You know, you tell it ain't true. <laughs> you got to witness, you got to have a witness in your spirit. The Holy Spirit witnesses to you. This is make-believe. This ain't right. And so I'm kind of selective about what I listened to but this woman was saying she had her son came home and told her this young boy said he was a girl now and the 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 little boy started asking her he said mommy what does that mean that he's he's now a girl and she tried to give him the best she said she was so shocked she was trying to give him the best answer she could this kid's maybe like seven or eight years old and she said, he said, well, well, how did he, he, how did his penis leave and he grew a vagina? See, this is what seven year olds are. This is their conversation now. See, you can't be shocked. You got to be on your guard and guard against this and, and, you know, go up to that school and say, I don't know who's telling my kid this stuff, but y'all going to stop. Amen. I'm not putting up with it and mean it. Amen. And, and he said, he said, is that going to happen to me? So now he's scared. He didn't know he can't trust his own body. You see what I'm saying? So this is what happens when lies are tolerated, when they're never challenged. People don't know how to combat this stuff. You got to pray and ask God, God, give me an answer for this because I got to know what to do. You know, whether you have children in school, grandchildren in school, it, it may not even involve you directly, but you need an answer. As a spokesman for God, you need an answer for this stuff because people are believing it, even though it sounds ridiculous. And see, this is what happens with Christians and, and people who are, are God-loving people. They always think, oh, that's so ridiculous. Don't play the devil cheap because he can get somebody to believe. You used to believe him before you found God. So he can get somebody to believe everything that he says. And so we have to always be people who speak truth and speak righteousness and preachers of righteousness and invite people into God's righteousness. You can't sit back and just listen to people say all this crazy stuff and never have an answer for it. And so this is where the uh, Noah and his family found themselves. They were the only people who weren't sinning continuously in the earth. And God had to pluck them out of that because he decided he would just destroy the earth and start all over again, but he needed seed. He's always going to need seed. Make up your mind you're going to be the righteous seed that God uses to do whatever. Amen. And so uh, the, the earth was started again with Noah and his sons and daughters and his wife and the animals that God had him preserve. 
And so sin has always been a problem for humanity. And it's the same now. It hasn't gone away. People aren't all of a sudden just really good people and love each other. That's the farthest thing from the truth. And so uh, we have to to uh, know that when God sent Jesus, he was needed, he was necessary, and he was the answer to everything that hurt humanity. Now, people who were honest would know, you know, when when Jesus would, they would, the Pharisees would accuse him of eating with publicans and sinners. Oh, he's a glutton and he's, you know, because he don't fast all the time. He's a glutton. You understand what I'm saying? Religious people always use themselves as the standard. That's how you can tell religion because they don't refer to God. They'll, they'll be subtle about it or, or talk about the scripture here and there and argue it, but they will not declare the truth by the spirit of God. They've always got something else and they don't think they need it. And so when Jesus came, the, he preached repentance. John the Baptist came before him and preached repentance. And, and there were some people that were hungry for that message. And those were the ones he came to. So when the Pharisees would accuse him of, uh, you know, how can you be a man of God if you're sitting with sinners, you know, and all of this kind of stuff? Well, well, you know, the, the Pharisees would, would take from the sinners. They, they come to the, the, uh, temple and buy their doves and all that kind of stuff or, uh, their little relics and things that they would sell to them. They would even take their tithes and their offerings, but they didn't have any fellowship, no love for them. They wouldn't preach to them. They wouldn't serve them and minister to them. And Jesus said he was coming for sick people. Amen. He said, if y'all think y'all cool, you don't need me. And that's always been true. People who think that you'll have people tell you stuff like that. You'll ask people if they've ever given their hearts to Jesus. No, I like my life the way it is. Amen. So so there's always going to be people who think a sinful life is a good life. Amen. Until they come to a knowledge of the truth and come to repentance. And that's really what our job is as Christians is to preach the good news. Amen. And allow people the understanding of how sin damages them and how God has made a remedy for that, a permanent remedy for something they thought they could not get out of. Amen. So Jesus became the permanent remedy for man's illness, which was sin. And so when he preached, he would meet people who were hungry for truth. And he didn't tell them that the message wasn't for them because it was for everybody. Amen. He's the savior of the world. Everybody needs saving. And so he came to invite everybody in uh, to repentance and forgiveness and a way out of their sin. But only those who humble themselves enough to hear his message and mix it with faith were able to receive that. So you got the religious people that didn't need it. You got the Romans that didn't, they had a bunch of gods already. So they were book solid as far as gods are concerned. So they didn't need it. Amen. And so you're left with the, the people that just had a heart for God and a heart for truth. And John the Baptist paved the way for Jesus. He told people, once someone's on the way here, so you can't say people weren't warned. 
just like we have warnings now in, in the things of God. You know, Jesus said he's going to return. And so we need to keep reminding people of that sometimes. He's on his way back. Amen. I remember Miss Jan said that when she, uh, you know, she went to Walmart the last time. You all know how God uses her. And she just goes up to the cashier and, and you know, tells them, I'm, I'm going to stand here. Can you mind if I stand here? And God wants me to say something. They say, okay, you know, what else you going to say? And she tells people to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus told me to tell you he's going to return real soon. So if you haven't given your heart to him, you better do it. You know, tells them how simple it is. You know, just two or three minutes and she's done. And she says many times people will follow her through the store and ask her, is God, is Jesus really coming back? See, they don't even know that basic stuff about God. So that message has to get out. It has to get out for people that know it and forget it and people that don't know it never heard it. And she said that is one of the things that people continue to ask her now. Wasn't that way all the time? But now when she gives them that message, that's what they want to know, if that's real. And see, people are so steeped in unreality and made-up things that they don't even know how to discern truth anymore. And that's that's why we need the Lord. That's why we need the gospel. That's why we need people to demonstrate the power of God. And so Jesus came in the midst of all of this. He preached the kingdom. He invited people into the kingdom. He demonstrated the kingdom. He healed the sick, cast out devils, cleansed lepers. Amen. And because the religious did not recognize him as the Messiah, they made up their minds that because he was taking so much attention from them, so many people, from their synagogue, from their business, to them it's just a business decision. Somebody's messing up our livelihood. Somebody's making it hard for us. We got competition. So, and then, and because of envy, they just got more and more consumed and decided the only record was, was to have him crucified. And that's, that is what happened. And so that was yesterday, Friday. <laughs> so today is Saturday. So where is Jesus on Saturday? So we've got a lot of, 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 information in the word about where he spent Saturday but there's also uh, uh you know good commentaries ministers and traditions of the church um uh truth that's been handed down uh, about how he spent uh his 3 days after the crucifixion actually it was well you know from from Saturday till I mean from Friday till Sunday we counted as 3 days and so uh, but but there was work for him to do uh, is and ministry for him to do because that's why he came to earth and that's why he lives forever is to be our high priest, our minister, the head apostle, the head of the church, all of that. He he continues even now into that ministry. And so that ministry did not uh, cease after he uh, was brought back to life. And in the bowels of the earth. So we know that (laughs) that's where he was and what was he doing. That's what many of the controversies are like. So if we'll go, well, we start in Matthew chapter 27 and we'll see where we, where, uh, where we want to start here. 27 and 51. 
we'll see the events that happened at the point where he he uh his he gave up his spirit or gave up the ghost as they say uh it and starting in verse 45 it says now from the sixth hour there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour so three hours of darkness that should not have been and about the ninth hour jesus cried with a loud voice saying my god my god why have you forsaken me now People interpret this really to mean not that the father was had had you know forsaken Jesus like he was a sinner. You understand when 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 people start crying out for help while they're dying and say that God has forsaken them, you might wonder what that's about. You know, and, and many times people are sinners on a deathbed and crying out to God and feel forsaken because they've never accepted Him as their, their, their God. But really what, what people interpret this to mean is that there was a point in Jesus' crucifixion where the sin of the world was finally laid on Him. Amen. He became sin. The Bible says he became sin in our place. And we know that God cannot look on sin. Amen. And so it, it, that seems to be the, the accepted explanation for why Jesus cried out this way. And it says some of them that stood there when they heard that said, this man calls for Elijah. Straight away, one of them ran, took a sponge, filled it with vinegar, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. And the rest said, let him be. Let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, immediately when he died or gave up his spirit, immediately the veil of the temple was torn into from the top to the bottom and the earth did quake and the rocks broke in half. So there was a great earthquake uh, at the time that he gave up his spirit and there was also an activity in the temple that the the curtain that for the way to the holiest of all, the holy of holies, where the Spirit of God dwelled, broke open. And from that day forward, it's not, there might have been some activity, but eventually the sacrifices that were given uh, on a regular basis at that temple were no more. Because the temple was, halfway destroyed at that point and then later on i think around 70 a.d it was destroyed forever and so when when this the uh the um curtain was split that signified that god's spirit did not dwell there anymore that that was not going to be the meeting place for god's spirit you know you can't have two two ways to God going on at the same time. One is being taken away and the other one is being introduced. So this really is introducing a new way to God. Amen. A new and a living way. That's what Jesus Christ provides. And so when his, when the Holy Spirit is no longer con- contained in that temple behind the curtain that means that the holy spirit is somewhere else he's residing somewhere else and so god said he always wanted 
a a body prepared for him. He says, sacrifices and offerings I have no delight in, but a body you have prepared for me. So God wants to dwell in the hearts of people. He promised that. He said, I'll give you a new heart, a new spirit. I'll take the old stony one out. So the old temple sacrifices represents the stony heart. Because we didn't have God dwelling in us to change us in our innermost being. You had that stony heart. So the way with the heart of stone, the way to God was through the temple, through a priest, through a secondary person. Now that that the Holy Spirit has been released to dwell in the hearts of men, you become the temple. You become the priest. You become the one that, that makes your own offerings to God. You worship him yourself in spirit and in truth. So then there's a new way provided for us to come to God. It's not the old take an animal and kill it and let the smoke go up and, and take it to the priest. And he has, you got to have all this because if, if you try to do it on your own, you know, if it's not a pleasing to God, he can strike you dead, that kind of stuff. So they had a system that 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 went through so now the system's gone we don't have that thing who's going to get and reconstruct that that big veil up there you know so that and the holy spirit's not going to meet them there anymore anyway so they can go in there and try all that ritual and they're not going to get any results amen so they're going to have to go back now and seek god for the way to him and the way to him was the one they just crucified see so they, you know, people are in a quandary. They don't quite know what to do. There's a lot of confusion in Jerusalem, uh, and at the time of Jesus's crucifixion. And so it says here, uh, when, when that thing was split, when the veil was split from the top to the bottom and the earth, there was an earthquake, so much so that graves were open. And many bodies of the saints which slept arose. So at the time that his spirit left was given up, then bodies opened at the same time. I mean, graves opened and bodies sat up. Amen. Because now the spirit of God is going to dwell in these bodies. How'd they sit up? They set up because the Holy Ghost left the temple and began to dwell in the old saints. No sinners were involved in this. This was just the saints of God that began to set up. And that signified that something had happened to release them from death in the grave. Amen. And it's because Jesus' blood was given as a ransom. And at the point where his his final drop of blood was shed to pay for the final sin of mankind, then his spirit left his body. You know, if you if if you've ever been around people that sick people or something like that, and and uh, they die of, of say they die of a heart failure, or the heart finally just stops on them. That's because the last bit of blood that was nourishing their cells and their bodies is not reaching it anymore so whenever there's a or if somebody gets shot or stabbed or something or in surgery and they can't stop the bleeding when they bleed out when that last drop of blood is gone your spirit will leave your body you understand me and so that's what happens with death it just vacates because there's no more 
a natural means to hold that life together anymore. Now they they can do some things like they'll do CPR and that gives many people another chance, but that blood has to be circulating in the body. So when the penalty for our sin was Jesus's blood, when his last drop of blood to pay for the last sin of the last person to be saved on earth was shed, then his spirit left his body and that blood was dropped as a ransom for these souls and that's why they woke up. Because there was a ransom paid. If somebody kidnaps somebody in your family and they tell you that you can pay this money and get them back, the minute that money hits their hands, you should get that person released to you. You know, police will tell you, don't go for that story. You meet me somewhere and just drop the money and I got them over here and you come, don't, don't go for that. You got me? Because there's some deception there. That's why God didn't do it that way. The minute that penalty was paid, that that drop was made, those graves popped open because the graves couldn't hold them anymore. Why? There was no reason. There's no chains holding them. Their sin didn't count against them any longer. Why? Because it was paid for now. So the reason it's the way it's paid for is with his shed blood. So when that blood was finally every single drop of it was shed and they you notice people weren't getting up while he was on the cross. Huh? It had to be a complete work. It had, it had to be done for everybody that would ever sin in life and, and pay that price. And it says here, and they later on, now they didn't get up and walk in the city at that point. Huh? Why not? They sat up in the grave. Yeah, all these dead people sitting up <laughs> where they used to be laying down. Amen. So they sit up. Why? Because they weren't shackled by death anymore, but they didn't have any instruction as what to do next. They're waiting. Now he's down in the bowels of the earth. They're waiting for the Messiah to come and tell them their next move. Amen. So here he is, and they say after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when when they talk about resurrection, they talk about the time when he's above the earth. He's alive at this point. Just gave up his spirit. Amen. And now he's alive in the bowels of the earth. Amen. So so until he comes back. Above the earth. That's what the resurrection really speaks about here. Not the fact that death couldn't hold him and he's still alive. They're talking about the fact that he got up and walked on the earth again. So as he walked on the earth, his body walks with him. Amen. They're just waiting for the signals. Where do we go? Oh, yeah, well, we'll just sit here and wait until God tells us what to do. Amen. That's what saints do. That's what obedient people do. They didn't have a mind to get up and go visit nobody all of a sudden. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, where am I? Oh, yeah, I remember when they buried me. Girl, I got to go see Amy somebody. You didn't have an idea like that. Amen. You got heavenly ideas now. And says, and when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. So now we got people believing all of a sudden. 
didn't believe him when he walked the earth and did miracles. But now that the earth is moving underneath them, amen, they're a little, little more faith in him. And many women that were beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him. It says uh, all those people observed and watched too. And so we see uh, Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man. He's a Pharisee. He comes and claims Jesus' body and, and uh, wraps it for the burial. Amen. So there's still a body there, but there's no life in it. Amen. So Jesus really was buried. That that. You know, the lies that, that were told about him by the Pharisees and the religious crowd and all that, that uh, he never was buried and, you know, he never did die and all this kind of stuff. And they stole his body. All those stories continue to circulate about him. But but he was very much doing what God, his father, God had told him to do. So in, let me see, where can I go here? said I wasn't going to forget the scripture. Okay, go to Matthew 12, and this will tell you where Jesus was. So we know where he isn't. Amen. He isn't on the cross anymore. His body has been taken down. That body has no no earthly life in it. Never to return to that body again. Matthew 12 and verse 40. Verse 38, certain of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we want to see a sign from you. And he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. (laughs) No wonder they want to kill him. (laughs) You know, they're supposed to be the holiest people known to man, and he calls them evil right to their face. He says, there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, a greater than Jonah is here. Amen. And so he tells them, he connects this story to the story of Jonah, but he says, Jonah's experience in the belly of the whale is was a shadow pointing to me. I'm greater than Jonah. He was the lesser one pointing to me. I'm the one he's pointing to. And he says, I will spend three days and three nights where? He didn't say heaven or hell or where. He said in the heart of the earth. So what do we know is in the heart of the earth? Well, there's some some scriptures that we can find so that we will be able to understand where Jesus was, what he may have been doing. Uh, there is still back and forth about it. Most people who accept explanations will say church tradition holds that so-and-so, this is what it is. Amen. And so <clears throat> there are many church traditions but this one about what jesus did they they try to put it together uh through through the scriptures that that we're going to look at and so um it says if you'll turn to luke chapter 23 
And you'll see something else Jesus says about where he's going to be when. <laughs> like Friday evening. He's, he's got plans for Friday evening. Uh, let me see. <clears throat> what did I say? Luke 23. Uh, let's go over to... It says here in verse 30, 36, and the soldiers mocked Jesus coming to him, offering him vinegar and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And so a, a superscription was also written over him. So there was a plaque on his cross that in Greek and Latin and Hebrew. So it says, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the, the criminals, malefactors, which were hanged, railed on him saying, if you're Christ, save yourself and us, mocking. But the other one rebuked him saying, don't you fear God, seeing that you're in the same situation? as In other words, when are you going to stop being an idiot? You know, we're we're all hanging on a cross and you got enough energy now to make fun of him and you're in the same boat that he's in. He said, you need to start taking yourself seriously, brother. You know, come on now. This ain't no time for joking and mocking nobody. It's a time to humble yourself and get serious or whatever, whatever. And he said, he says, he said, don't you fear God seeing that you are in the same condemnation? In other words, at the end of your life. You need to start looking up to heaven or something. And he says, he said, we indeed justly, because we're receiving what's due us. He said, this man has done nothing wrong. This man has done nothing wrong. Here he's come to a clarity of the truth about Jesus. He's heard, either heard about him or was in the same place during having his trial about the same time. But also too, since he's in a more sober and somber mood, he's probably reached the Holy Spirit who begins to point things out to him about Jesus. And he says, he says, this man probably is the son of God because I'm understanding in my heart that he's done nothing wrong, but yet I stand here. I stole. I'm a thief. I'm convicted justly. And here this man, he's here unjustly. Perhaps this is. Amen. And he says to him, and he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you today. You shall be with me in paradise. So we know that paradise is in the heart of the earth. Got me? Because there's, there's other evidence of this too, which we'll go through, but we know that Jesus went to a place that they referred to as paradise. It's also referred to as, um, Hades. Which, which scholars tended to believe that Hades consisted of two parts. And we'll see why in a minute. Let me see. I think it's in Luke 16. Yeah. In the parable about the rich man and Lazarus. It says there was a rich, certain rich man 
which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. So he was very rich in the earth goods. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. So somebody felt, or this might have been a, a tradition that the poor were laid at the feet of the rich to see if the rich would bless them with something. You know, if you're poor and everybody else around you is poor, you won't move to a better neighborhood, even if you're begging. You understand what I'm saying? You, you'll know you don't belong there, so your chances of getting something is better if you're around people who have something. And, and Lazarus sat there every day desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs, who no doubt ate the crumbs, and Lazarus couldn't get any, came and licked his sores. Now, dogs will do that. They, If they smell, like it's putrid to us, but it's nourishment for them. You got me? That you get a wound or sore, and, and dogs will just, if they smell life there, or they smell something that's, being degraded or something like that, they will try and partake of it. Amen. And so it says, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, which is another word for paradise, which is another word for Hades, for the good part of Hades. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, the rich man lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Lazarus afar off, and Lazarus, Abraham, I'm sorry, afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, so this man was a Jew. He had the opportunity to know God. When they call Abraham father, it's because it's legit. Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus over to me. So there's a connection. There's a close enough connection there that they feel people are close enough. You can see them. Amen. And and it that may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, son, remember you in your lifetime received the good things, likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And beside all this between us and you there is a great gulf fixed. In other words, there's no way for you to come over here, no way for me to come over there. So that they which would pass from you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from there. Then he said, I pray you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, they have Moses and the prophets. In other words, they got enough information to make the right decision. See, you know what? People who die and go to hell never go there unjustly. Because they have enough information to make the right decision. You got me? 
I don't care who they are. If nobody's ever taken them to church, Romans tells you we're a law unto ourselves. When your conscience pricks you and tells you something wrong, if you've never been in a church, if you've never heard the gospel, if you've never been taught right from wrong, the minute your conscience pricks you and tells you you're doing wrong, you're, you're responsible. You're a law unto yourself. Amen. So you can't escape truth. And he said, um, he said, uh, Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. Guess what just happened? <laughs> Amen. They're, they're about to get their chance to be honest with you because Jesus is about to walk the earth again as one who rose from the dead. Amen. And he said unto them, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. So these people seem to be locked in to their decision against God. Amen. It's unfortunate, but it looks like that's what is true. Amen. And so, uh, but, but this was a parable that Jesus taught, but there is truth here. Amen. It's every part of this is true. So we see here that Jesus has told the other thief, the repentant thief, that he's going to be with him today in paradise. So we know that on Saturday, Jesus was in the center of the earth. We know that paradise was a stop for him. So he he went there and the Bible says that he actually preached to the souls that were there in paradise. So he shared the gospel with every soul that was there. Why? Because we all have to hear the truth. Every everybody who goes to heaven has to hear the truth. So the thief on the cross heard the gospel as well. He was a late convert. See, this is what proves to us it's never too late to hear the truth of God. See, it's never too late to witness to the soul. I prayed with a lot of people who were in the hospital. You know, some of them didn't make it much longer or whatever, but this is why we go to the hospital to tell people either pray for them to be healed if you can get that faith in them, or at least let them know the truth of the gospel to know that, that, that Jesus is the Messiah and he is the way to salvation. Cause it's hard to believe some people, you know, you see some people say, well, you know, he lived, they live all that life and think they're going to get saved, saved at the last minute. Well, of course they will. We got Bible evidence <laughs> and he could have taken two with them. Amen. Plus the people who were standing by watching, those people are witnesses to the death that he died and how marred and beat up he was in the events that happened after he died. This had to be the son of God. Nobody, we, we crucified a ton of people. You know, we got three this day just on this hill. Probably some more on another hill somewhere dying. Do you understand me? They crucify all kind of people. They're all all times of day and night. But this is the first time this ever happened to anybody. And especially with Jesus' reputation as being the Messiah. And they probably the Romans are thinking, well, if he's your your savior, why are you hanging him? You know, sometimes ranked sinners can have more sense than people who claim to know God. Amen. 
And so they're, they're all in amazement of the things that are happening here. And then they're yet to, to understand, but they know what they believe. Amen. They know what's happening in them and the Holy Spirit is working on them that are standing by watching to let them know exactly who Jesus is. This is what every human being must decide. Who is Jesus really? See, Muslims can tell you a lot of facts about him. He was a great prophet. Well, he was the son of God. Oh, no, 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 no. He was just a great prophet like Muhammad was. We choose Muhammad. So, okay, well, you know, we, we trying to tell you, you know, he is not, he and Muhammad are not the same, same people. Amen. So we know that Jesus went into the bowels of the earth. And we know that there are two places there. One's paradise and one's hell or a part of hell. They, people, people want to say the lake of fire is separate from there, but I'm not so sure all that's true. You know, it's, it, because when people are, are without God, they're being tormented, period. You know, I mean, and this is your final fate. And so these people, their fate is sealed. They don't get a second chance. They don't, they don't get so there's a great gulf that separates the 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 ones who have died uh in faith in God from the other ones. Amen. Uh Jesus took this thief there with him. He said, You're gonna be with me today in paradise. You know, one minute this guy's tormented because he's a thief and he's being ridiculed and mocked, and the next day he's looking over there at Lazarus who can't get over there. You understand what I'm saying? And so these, and, and he's listening now to what Jesus is preaching. So in First Peter three, we see a, 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 a information about this. 1 Peter 3. It says here in verse 17, it says, For it is better if the will of God be so, that you suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also has once suffered for our sins, just once now, the just for the unjust. So he was suffered, he suffered unjustly for us that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the spirit. So Jesus was put to death in the, in the, in the flesh, but made alive by the spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison which sometimes were disobedient when once when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing wherein few that is eight souls were saved by water the like figure whereon even to baptism doth now save us not the putting away of the filth of the flesh but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, and it says here, Jesus in verse 22, who has gone into heaven, is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject to him. So it looks here as though Jesus did go down into the bowels of the earth and speak to spirits. Of people that were there. Let me see with first, let me turn back here again. 
turned away too quick. Says. He verse 19. By which by the spirit. He went also and preached unto the spirits in prison. Which sometimes were disobedient. When once the long suffering of God waited. In the days of Noah. While the ark was preparing. Many people think that that does not mean that people who were disobedient to God and died in disobedience got a second chance to be saved when Jesus was in the bowels of the earth. They feel this is also to be interpreted that Jesus, by the spirit of Noah, preached to the people who were alive that were disobedient that eventually were swallowed up by the flood. So there's two ways of looking at that, um, that, that, but I think what sounds most credible is that consistent with scripture, once you say no to God while you're living on earth, you don't get a second chance, you know, to repent or anything like that. You know, it's a done deal. And so they feel that this is referring to, but it looks like he did go into the lower parts of the earth and preach, but he preached to the righteous, not to the unrighteous. But it looks like because there's this gulf there and they know what's going on, the unrighteous get to know the truth, finally. You understand what I'm saying? But they can't make a decision for Christ from that place. Because it's apparent from what Lazarus said, send them back to talk to the living. I'm dead now, I can't do anything. The only thing I can do is ask somebody to come over here and give me a drink of, you know, we all heard people say people in hell want ice water too and they ain't getting none. You know, that, that kind of offhand way of explaining that. But that is very true. That they, there is a knowledge that they have that the truth that they heard was the truth and they didn't receive it and now it's too late. So the story of Lazarus kind of sums that up for us, that if there were a way for him to get back and do it over again, he would, but he can't. So all he can do is beg for some relief here and there, which, you know, people who have visited hell and come back to tell about it say that people are always screaming and asking for help uh, because they're in such torment all the time. And so we see that this that that thinking that maybe there was a second chance for the people unrepentant, that's not so. Amen. There's just an awareness that there's something else better there. But it's possible that that when Lazarus got there, because there has to become an awareness of what truth is once people hit hell. They just can't be stumbling around there and not knowing how they got there. So there's an understanding that they get somehow. I don't, I'm not saying that this is it, but I'm saying it's possible. And I think the possibility is also if they can look and see people that they knew on earth, and that's, that's totally true. People who are in heaven know who else they live, they can recognize people they used to know on earth, all that kind of stuff. Because everything's revealed and open once you're, you're out of this place. But, but it just appears that 
um, there was a an opportunity afterwards that they came to the truth. Why? Because the Bible says there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, when you grow, oh God, I can't believe I did this. You mean I had a test? That's what they're talking about. It's a frustration about having made a bad decision and you can't go back on it. You don't get a second chance uh, to do it right. And so that weeping and gnashing of teeth has to do with the reaction of a human soul to the truth now that everything's been revealed. And so we see here Jesus, uh, he's brought the, the, uh, the repentant thief down to paradise with him. Amen. To live forever with the Lord. And the other thief on the cross is not there, obviously. And so he never did repent. And so it says that we just finished that first Peter, uh, Jesus preached to the spirits in prison. And so, uh, it looks like, uh, the bosom of Abraham, Hades, paradise was not their final resting place, but there was a better place for them. If it's not that, it can mean that spirits in prison are the people of Noah's day who disobeyed and through the spirit, Jesus preached through Noah to these people that they needed to repent, but they didn't hear. And so they are, are, are victims of their own rebellion. Amen. In that sense. So, so we know that Jesus was three days. We know what he did Friday evening. He was there Friday and Saturday and rose out of the grave. Amen. On Sunday. Amen. It appears that he, the same body that he lived in, he kept, but it was glorified. Amen. Uh, and so, but he was able to change his appearance when he walked the earth after he was raised from the dead. So many people didn't know him until what? Till they saw the scars. The scars remain yet to this day. The scars are evidence that our sins are paid for. Those scars are covenant scars to let us know we have an eternal a resurrection in Jesus Christ. We have eternal salvation because that evidence is going to be there forever for everybody who has ever claimed Christ to see and for those that, that he reveals it to him, to them that, that didn't know him. Amen. And so <clears throat> he reads, he went into the, the bowels of the earth. Colossians 2.15 tells us something. We don't know when it happened and where it happened. Uh, so, thank you, Jesus. We're finding out still. <laughs> the Bible is continual revelation. You know, you, you'll know the full story when you see him face to face. But until then, we need to understand these things, you know. Like, there are people that, that want to believe that sending people to hell is not fair. You know, but you can look at the thief on the cross, the two thieves, and see this this guy knew he was headed for hell. You understand what I'm saying? So in that case, he says, if there's a way for me to get out of this, he said, but mocking this man is not the way to go. Amen. And so he, he, um, uh, he there are people that start their own religious cults. 
based on the fact they think God's not, you know, oh, people can't go, there's no hell, God, a loving God wouldn't send people to hell. Yeah, love is, is holy, folks. Love is pure. His love, God's love judges sin because he's a creator. You can't tell him how to run his business. You know, but you see people that walk away from the church and they're now involved in, in occult stuff and catering to sinners. Amen. They, they like to have their time to cater to sinners, you know. So he says here in Colossians, what do we say? Two? Two? Okay. Okay. All right. It says here, <clears throat> why don't we start up a little bit? It talks about Christ. He said in verse 9, In him all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily, and you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. So Jesus is Lord of all. He's the head, which means that the devil can't do anything that Jesus doesn't allow him to do. Amen. And Jesus abides by his own law and his own word, except he ministers with mercy where he wants to show mercy. And it says here, in whom also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So that's us. Our hearts are softened because they have been circumcised. He says, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who has raised him from the dead. So if he's raised from the dead, we are too. We believe in him and put our trust in him. We're raised up from the power of death. That's why you can get healed every time you want to. You can die another day. You don't have to sit up and wait for uh, some treatment to come. And if it doesn't come, you're in him. And he's alive and he's healed. Amen. He says, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, flesh has he quickened together with you. So you are made alive with Christ. You are in Christ. All the life you have, you have in him and with him. Apart from him, you don't have it. So when you sin or you walk away from God, you're not in life anymore. Wake up and repent and go get back in life. You know, people walk away from God. That doesn't have to be a permanent decision, especially if you're born again. You just straighten up and go back to God. And he says, blotting out the handwriting and ordinances that was against us, that was contrary to us. Which means that when Jesus took on our sin on the cross, he took away all of the laws that were against us. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And he replaced it, thou can, thou can, thou, thou can. Amen. So they, they are still the law, but they were impossible for us to do. So now the ordinances are not contrary to us. They can be done now that you're in Christ. Amen. And so he says here, it took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. The curse was nailed to the cross. The law was nailed to the cross, at least a hard part of it. Amen. Now he administers the law through his spirit. And he says, and having spoiled principalities and powers, this is why the ordinances are not contrary to us anymore, because the devil has no power over us. 
Jesus took all power from him and he said he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Amen. And he says, for that reason, don't let anybody judge you in these petty things. Let anybody tell you you shouldn't eat meat. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. You know, it's always meat they want to take away from you. Why is that? Because meat was always symbolized, connected with the atonement, the shedding of blood. That's why people ate meat for the most part. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because those animals had to be killed to get you back to God. So God gave you an appetite for it and made it for your body to consume it and it be nourishing for your body. Amen. Can't go dive in the ocean. They weren't allowed to have shellfish. Why is that? They don't have no bud. Come on now, y'all. Yeah, you'd like to dine on that and stay sinful. Amen. God makes it easy for you to obey him, folks. It was hard then, but it wasn't that hard. You know, they needed Jesus to come to do, do away with the repetition of it. Amen. But it says, having spoiled principalities and powers, it made, and he spoiled, he took all the power away from them. He took all the, the, the future souls that would be saved away from them. Amen. By taking his power, you take the people. Because he doesn't have as much power to deceive anymore. Amen. So this is what makes people think Jesus went into the bowels of hell as well when he went there. Because they believe that he went there and made an open show of the devil in front of who? In front of the people he had trapped that died in sin. And in front of his imps, and it was an open show. Everybody that was there that day, that was there on Friday and Saturday, got the show. Amen. Spoil principalities, stripped him of the keys of death and hell. Amen. So this is the people who believe it is mostly Pentecostal people because we go off on that, man. We can preach for three days on what Jesus did. He took that stuff from him and showed everybody. So the gospel can be preached by words. It can be also demonstrated, which Jesus did a lot of. But people think this open show did actually happen while Jesus was in the bowels of the earth and that he was able to strip the devil in front of his demons in 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 and take all power away from him so this actually weakens every time you take something from the devil and you let his cohorts know about it this takes some of his power and influence away from them not that they would disobey but that they know they give up more easily you know with on you know like if you bind the devil and and he may come back two or three times because devils don't like to go into dry places. They don't like to be evicted because they must catch everything from him, you know, get beat up pretty bad by the devil when they come back with nothing. Amen. Because that's how he rules is by force. 
And so every time Jesus raises up more powerful, it demonstrates less of the devil's power. And the main people he wants to demonstrate it to is humans. Don't get me wrong. But every every time you can divide his kingdom and you could strip him of something, whether you're stripping him in front of people or in front of demons, they know that they got to go. Amen. This is what when the Gadarene demoniac was delivered, when Jesus cast the legion out of legion, all of those demons that were in this man and under his control went into the pigs. So there were a legion of demons under his influence. How do we know that? Because number one, they went into the pigs and the pigs committed suicide. They choked themselves. Amen. And But also, the people that lived in that town, they were afraid of Jesus. So they were demonically oppressed too. That's how... (laughs) Chicago, L.A. Why do you think them places are, are like hell on earth to live in and walk the streets? Because they congregate. Where the Demons are on assignment to take over places, folks. They ain't going to just be nice and stand back in the corner and let you go shopping and do all that stuff while they sit and watch you. They're on assignment to make life difficult for people. In fact, to steal, kill, and destroy. So this is why you have cities like that. Because they're given freedom to congregate, to do what they want to do. Why do you think Jesus told the, told the legion, the, the demoniac guy, that guy loved Jesus. After you, the devils leave, you love God. So he wanted to follow Jesus. Jesus said, no, don't you follow me. I want you to go back and tell these ten cities that your demons have kept in bondage all this time. That they're free now. You tell them what I did for you. You go preach the gospel so that they can get free. So he evangelized the ten cities that he used to be in charge of. And when the people saw their leader bowing to Jesus, they knew they were next. That's why they asked Jesus to leave. Demons don't like to be dislodged. But guess what? You see, the next time Jesus came, just keep reading. You know, you keep reading. The next time he came over there, they were glad to see him. They welcomed him. How'd that happen? They got delivered. How'd that happen? Jesus told the demoniac, said, go tell everybody. Go to these ten. It said they, he went all over Decapolis. That's ten cities. He went through to every single one of them and preached and told what the Messiah had done for him. He evangelized that whole place so that now they were ready to receive him. Amen. This is how you break the strong man's power, folks. Because they'll come and introduce themselves. You have authority over them and, and they know you're anointed to do them some harm. They'll try to make nice to you when they first see you. You got me? They'll come to you. Jesus wasn't looking for him. When the minute his feet hit that beach, that guy came up to him. Why? Because they come to defend their territory against somebody who's anointed. So they'll reveal themselves in short order. You know, if you're anointed to, 
you know, we went out there to, to witness the people at, at Dave's. We did good for a week. Next week, everybody shows up. Everybody's, they got their banners, they got their vans, they got their everything. Why? Because we're anointed to take care of them. They are not going to win any souls. They're going to sit up and run their mouth and give away t-shirts, but don't fool yourself. God doesn't double assign as hard as it is to find laborers. Why is he going to send more people to do the same job you're doing? And you got there first. So don't be deceived, folks. Keep, you know, keep your discerners on. Let God show you what's what. So anyway, this is, this is how the strong man operates now. You know, they, they want to keep a hold on things. So, so it is thought, and see, this is, Jesus spoiled him. That was the other point out. Spoiled principalities and powers. They spoiled that guy. Took every, he took all those ten cities away from that demoniac. Why do we know that? Because they were open to hear the gospel where they didn't want him there at first. He never got that reception at the temple. The Pharisees never wanted him there. Why? They were still full of devils. The religious ones are the hardest ones to deal with. Just saying. Not impossible. Hardest. Means you gotta go home, you gotta fast, you gotta pray, or you gotta listen to God and believe you're equipped when you get there. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, just so you know. Amen. Praise God. So, so Jesus takes the authority from the devil. Many people preach that he went down to hell and stripped him and took the keys from him. I like that version. Me, myself, I kind of like it. Amen. So, but we know that he was in the lower parts of the earth. Uh, the bosom of Abraham is, is divided from, 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 uh, from hell or Hades, uh, the tormenting part. Uh, and it's, they're visible to one another. They have awareness of, of who's there. So it says he spoiled principalities and powers, making an open show of them. Psalm 16.10 says, you will not leave my soul in hell, nor cause your righteous one to see corruption, your holy one to see corruption. Amen. So this points to that as well, that Jesus visited there. He didn't stay there. He didn't have sin on him. There was nothing there to keep him there. But, but that it, it, there's some evidence there that that really did happen. And then there is, let me see, which way was I get ready to go there? I did Colossians. Oh, Ephesians 4. Sorry about that. That'll be our last one. I hope this is making sense to you. It's still somewhat of a puzzle because human minds are human minds, but you just need to know that the job was done and done in great order. And Jesus left nothing to the devil that has any semblance of power over any human being. Amen. Ephesians 4, verse 10, I think I, I need to start and we'll finish. Uh, no, it says seven, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he said, when he ascended up on high, 
he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it that he also descended first? (laughs) Amen. Into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also as he that ascended up far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave gifts unto men. We know the fivefold apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. But this does allude to the fact that Jesus took somebody out of jail, said he led captivity captive. Where did he lead them to? To chains, to everlasting chains, to hell. We don't know exactly, but he was in charge of those who had captured the ones who were, so the strong man, you know, the principalities and powers that rule over the earth, he took authority over them too, but he did it from the lower parts of the earth. So that must be the center of the devil's authority is in hell. But Jesus cleaned that out. He stripped him of all power going forward. And that's why when he rose up, he announced to his disciples that all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Amen. And so we we need to understand that, that everything is given to the Lord and he has given us, made us heirs. And also we have delegated authority over all the works of the devil. Amen. He spoiled him and took everything from him. Amen. Praise God. Well, Father, we thank you for allowing us this opportunity to uh, examine your word, Father. And we, we still don't have definitive answers in some areas, but you said the secret things belong to you. And we're, we're good with that. But the things that are revealed are for us and, and for our offspring, for those that are disciples, those that we would teach your word and introduce the gospel to them. So we thank you for that, Lord. We bless you, we praise you, and we honor you. In the name of Jesus, praise God. Why don't we do our declaration? I don't have Rona, and she don't have me. I can't get Rona. She can't get me. I don't have... And it don't have me. And thank you, Jesus. But by your stripes that you endured for our healing. We are healed. Amen, amen, and amen again. It's so decreed. Amen. Praise God.